Let me pray for God's help to take what we're going to read together to heart. Divine Spirit, illumine to us the words of the Lord. Show us the wealth of glory that lies beneath these old familiar stories. And open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Among all the children she bore, there was none to guide her. Among all the children she brought up, there was none to take her by the hand. These double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner like antelope caught in a net. They are filled with the wrath of the Lord, with the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God, who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. I will put it into the hands of your tormentors, who said to you, fall prostrate that we might walk on you. And you made your back lie on the ground like a street to be walked on. Awake. Awake, Zion, and clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. Daughter Zion, now a captive, for this is what your Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. And lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful. On the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, 
who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart. Depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out from it and be pure. You who carry the articles of the Lord's house, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Thanks so much, Sam, uh, for reading for us. Um, the God of Israel will go before you. He will be your rear guard. The Lord surround us, surrounds us, and he is with us this morning to confirm wonderful truths uh, to us. Let's pray as we come to God's words together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you, grateful for all that you have done for us. This day of remembrance, we are grateful for the peace and security that we enjoy because of the sacrifice of others. We are grateful for the eternal peace and the eternal security we enjoy because of the sacrifice of your son. Please, teach us this morning. Show us what it means to be your people living on your earth to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I think there are moments, aren't there, when as Christians we can feel so kind of disheartened, uh, so dispirited, that maybe we can think, the Lord has given up on me. It could be all, all, all kinds of reasons. Dreams that, that fall apart, patterns of sin that we just can't escape, There's a disappointing career or a difficult marriage or loneliness or a body that no longer works as it used to. And you know what? Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it, it is absolutely understandable to feel that way. The Lord doesn't care. But other times, we can fall into this kind of stupor, this kind of rut. Whenever anything goes wrong, our instinct is to think this is typical God. I knew he didn't care. And then we lift in our minds all the ways that life isn't working out for us, and we grumble. Or we think, what is the point of trying to obey Jesus when I'm getting no help in any of this? I think some of us, many of us, especially me, actually, can be prone to this. This rut of grumbling and self-pity. The Lord does not care. He's not even there people Isaiah was writing to, they were feeling desperate when he was writing. They'd been taken into exile far from home. 
Their lives are threatened. The future of the entire nation seems in doubt. And in chapters 51, we hear the people speaking. The first time, I think, in this whole section that we've been looking at, we hear the people speaking, and their voice is desperate. We didn't read it, but 51 verse 9, if you've got a Bible, you can see, Awake, awake, they say, arm of the Lord, clothe yourself with strength. Awake, as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Is it, this, is, this is what they are saying, that the kind of words they are saying to God, the Lord is sleeping. You need to wake up, God. The Lord has forgotten us. Do something, Lord. He no longer cares like he used to in generations gone by. You understand some of that. Given what they're facing, you understand that they feel that way. And actually for the last 10 chapters, the Lord has offered words of comfort for his people. I'm coming. Take heart. I haven't forgotten you. But this time, his response is a little different. To people who feel despondent and despairing and disbelieving and accusing God of forgetting them and being asleep, this time he pushes back. Let's see that first point. Wake up and believe. Your judgment is over. So listen to what the Lord says to his people in verse 17. This is God saying back to his people, You wake up. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. The people complain that the Lord has forgotten them, and the Lord pushes back. He doesn't affirm them in their despondency. He doesn't say, I know it's hard. I understand why you might think I don't care. No, he pushes back. He says to his people, you wake up. It's time to rouse yourself from your stupor of grumbling and complaining and self-pity. Snap out of it. Wake up. Now, in old films, comedy kind of slapstick films, if one of the characters got a little bit hysterical, kind of gripped by panic or fear, they start running round and they shriek and they yell, we're all going to die. And then someone would grab them and give them a slap across the face. And they'd stop their panicking. They'd stop being hysterical. Calm down. Now, I don't know if it actually works. My sense is that it would probably make things a hundred times worse. Never tried it. But verse 17, if you like, is a spiritual slap in the face from the Lord to his people. That they are caught up in this doom and gloom narrative. They keep saying the Lord doesn't care. He's forgotten us. And the Lord spiritually slaps them in the face. Wake up. Rouse yourself. I haven't forgotten you. Sometimes I suspect that's the Lord's message to us as well. Yes, the Lord is compassionate. Yes, he is kind and gentle. A bruised reed the Lord Jesus will not break. But sometimes our complaining and our grumbling isn't because of the pain we are experiencing. It's because of faithlessness. We no longer believe what the Lord says to us. And so sometimes the Lord will say, wake up. Stop your grumbling. Now, you could think that you just don't know my circumstances. You don't know how difficult life is or what I'm facing. I have good reason to complain. Well, before you think that, look at the circumstances of God's people in Isaiah. 
Verse 17, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Jerusalem, God's people, are living under God's judgment. After years of rejecting God and worshipping other gods, they are experiencing a time of the Lord's anger. And it is miserable. Verse 19, these double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner like antelope caught in a net. This is bleak. It does sound hopeless for God's people. Maybe they're right to say, Lord, wake up. Maybe they're right to think that God has given up on them. But of course, that isn't the end of the story, is it? Throughout these chapters, the Lord has been telling the people, I will rescue you. And he tells them again here, verse 21. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. He tells them what he's already told them. He will take away their judgment. He will end their punishment. They won't have to drink from that goblet of wrath ever again. Now the why and the how of that, that's next week. But here's the point. Wake up, Jerusalem. Stop complaining. Stop doubting. Stop saying to yourself, the Lord has forgotten us. The Lord is asleep and believe. He will end your judgment. And here's the thing for us. If the Lord can say to his people in around 570 BC, wake up. If the Lord can say to his people who were in exile, under foreign captivity, under the the hand of his judgment, a people who we might think have grounds for saying the Lord is asleep. If the Lord can say to them, wake up from your stupor, wake up from your self-pity and your grumbling and your disbelief and your despondency, then it is possible, isn't it, that he could be saying the same to us sometimes. We know so much more than they did. We have experienced so much more of the Lord's love. We live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We know our sins are covered and forgiven. We know that our judgment is over. Wake up and believe. Your judgment is over. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your struggles and fall back into self-pity and grumbling. Look to the promises of God and to the cross of Christ. And wake up and believe your judgment is over. Think about this. that The judgment of being forgotten and cut off from God, that is over. I am with you to the end of time, says the Lord Jesus in the Gospels. Don't grumble. Where is the Lord in all of this pain I am going through? Wake up and believe the Lord is always with you. The judgment of being given over to death and decay is over. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live forever. 
Don't give in to self-pity. Another ache to worry about. Another medical condition to break me. Typical God. Wake up and believe. Because of Jesus, you will live forever. The judgment of hell has gone. The Lord Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, brought us into his kingdom of light. Don't give in to doubts and disbelief. Don't think and moan and complain. What is the point of fighting sin today when I know that I'll just give in tomorrow anyway? Wake up and believe you have been set free from the kingdom of darkness. There are times when it is right and appropriate that we respond with that sense of grief and heartache. Where are you, Lord, in all of this? But if that is our continued response and we are stuck in a rut of grumbling and self-pity, it may be that the Lord is saying to us, wake up and believe. You know, I say, I think this is a sermon as much to myself as to anyone else. Laura's not in this morning. I'm kind of glad of that because we've got a car journey later. I know that she'll be nudging me and saying, you should listen to your own sermons sometimes. These are hard things to hear, aren't they? Wake up and believe. Secondly, wake up and see who you are. Now, another reason Israel felt despondent It's because they felt that the Lord had given up on them, that they were no longer precious to him. You get that a couple of times in chapter 52, verse 3. For this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing. Verse 5, for my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule mock. I think it's saying from the people's perspective, they felt worthless. Other countries and empires conquered Israel and they were taken for nothing. The the Lord didn't even demand payment from those other nations to take his people. Seems as the Lord was just happy to get rid of them. Listen to verse 4. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. It's like an A to Z of all the nations who've oppressed and possessed Israel. It started with Egypt in 1800 BC when the people of Israel were the slaves of Pharaoh. And then there was Assyria. And soon there will be Babylon and then later Rome. God's people feel worthless. Sold for nothing. Like an ad on Free Cycle. A nation no longer wanted free to anyone willing to collect. The Lord doesn't care. But it's not true. The Lord never abandoned his people. Verse 3, yes, you were sold for nothing, and without money, you will be redeemed. Without money, not because the cost of Israel is nothing. No, he will buy them back, not with money. Because the cost of buying his people back is infinitely greater than all the money in the universe. It will cost the Lord something of unimaginable preciousness to buy his people back. The Lord has not abandoned his people. And so, again, he says, 52 verse 1, wake up. Wake up from your despondency, your stupor, your your self-pity. Wake up and see who you really are. 
Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength, put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, who is now a captive. Wake up and see who you are. You are the Lord's people. You are holy, set apart, belonging to him. You are glorious and precious in the eyes of the Lord, wearing garments of splendor. You are royal. Shake off the dust, the dust that speaks of curse and humiliation. Shake it off and take up your throne. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. You're not forgotten. You're not unwanted. Wake up and see who you are. You are holy and royal and free and precious to me, says the Lord. And again, I think the Lord says the same to us. In 1 Peter, Peter describes the church like this, very similar language. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. It's the same language, isn't it? Holy and royal and treasured. See, our our problem, or let me say this differently, my problem is that I measure how much God loves me by how good my life is. The better things are, the more I think he loves me. When life is rubbish, well, the Lord doesn't care. I'm nothing to him. I must wake up and see who I really am. Chosen and royal and holy and treasured by God. I wonder what difference it would make if each morning, when I literally woke up, I recited these words of 1 Peter. You are chosen and royal and holy and God's treasured possession. Imagine if that was our starting point each morning, each day, chosen, royal, holy, God's treasured possession. I wonder what difference that would make when, when Satan feeds lies to us, when he says, the Lord does not love you. Look at your life. Look how he's treated you. you know, your, your marriage is a struggle. Your heart is breaking. Your job is miserable. The Lord doesn't love you. When Satan lies to you, don't, don't listen. Don't give in to that self-pity that we so easily fall into. Woe is me. The Lord has abandoned me. No, wake up and see who you are. I am part of a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Shake off the dust and live in the joy of God's love. When your body is falling apart and it's painful and your mind isn't working as well as it used to and you're stuck in a pattern of sin, don't give in the temptation to feel despondent. Wake up and see who you are. I belong to the Lord. And one day I will shake off the dust of this cursed and broken body and I will sit enthroned with Jesus, my Savior. Wake up and believe. Wake up and see who you are. And there's another problem, isn't there? 
if we are gripped by grumbling and and disbelief and despondency, we're never going to tell anyone else about the Lord Jesus, are we? And so finally, wake up and tell the world. Listen to verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are those who bring good news. You see, all that the Lord is going to do for his people that we've just been looking at, that is good news. That is beautiful news. And the first ones to bring that news were probably those who said to the people in exile, it's over. You can go home. It's finished. Good news. But we know as the story unfolds, that good news gets clearer and clearer and therefore better and better. 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words on a hill outside Bethlehem, there were some shepherds and they were watching their sheep when the skies were torn open and filled with angels from heaven. Listen to what the angels said. It's very Isaiah 52. Luke chapter 2. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. That might be the first annunciation of the good news. News that a saviour has been born. Not to save them from exile, but to save people from their sins. News of great joy. News that leaves the angels rejoicing and the shepherds running to Bethlehem. It is the best news. Christ the saviour has come. Our God is born, born to live and die and live again, born that all might be forgiven and have life in him. It is better than the news of peace in Ukraine, better than the news of a cure for cancer, better than the news of a pay rise or a holiday or whatever else captures your heart. This is better. Christ the Savior has come. And it's our news. It's news that we get to share with the world. Incredible, beautiful, joy-bringing, heart-thumpingly good news. Christ the Savior has come. Repent and believe in him. And we don't just have good news to tell. We have a good life to live. Verse 11, depart. Depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure. Again, this is probably originally referring to the people leaving Babylon where they were held captive. Leave Babylon behind. Don't live like a Babylonian. But for us, it's more than that. It is a call to all God's people, to those who are now holy and royal and the Lord's treasured possession, to leave our old life behind. To leave the values and dreams and ideals and ethics and morality of the world 
and to live wholly under the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, we have good news to tell and good lives to live. And brothers and sisters, as I close, please, please believe this. Because my worry and and my fear, and I feel it inside me, is that increasingly we think that the Christian message and the Christian life is bad news. The world doesn't like it. The world doesn't want to hear about it. Mentioned before when we did some midweek um, kind of sessions, thinking about life in a in the world now. Some people have talked about three kinds of of world. You talk about a positive world. Maybe fifty or sixty years ago, when to be a Christian, well, that was considered to be a positive thing. It, it got you some social status, some social standing. And then maybe 30 years ago, we moved into the neutral world, where to be a Christian world, it was just like any other religion, neither good nor bad. Let's all bring our ideas into the marketplace, and you can be what you want to be, and someone else can be what they want to be. It's just neutral. But now, maybe in the last five, ten years, we've moved into a negative world, where to be a Christian isn't considered just to be neutral. It is to be considered to be a bad thing. It reduces your social standing and social favor. It is considered immoral. Maybe you've experienced something of that in your own life. Some news in Australia this week about a pastor who ended up being interviewed on morning TV because their church had taught biblical views on abortion and sexuality and marriage. If you watch it, the, the interviewer rips into this pastor with real anger. You and your church are an abomination. You are haters. You exclude people and tell them you're going to hell. It's very hard to watch. And so, of course, as Christians, we are tempted to think maybe the news we have to share isn't good news. Maybe the lives we have to live are not beautiful lives. And so we keep quiet. We are ashamed about the things Jesus says in the scriptures. We're tempted to apologize. Do you know, I wish this wasn't here, but it is there in the Bible. So if you want to be a Christian, you kind of got to believe it. I wish you didn't, but I didn't write the book. So there you go. But brothers and sisters, do not ever be ashamed about the teachings of Christ and do not ever be ashamed about his gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim good tidings and peace, and that our Lord is King. That baby born in Bethlehem is the King of heaven and earth and the Savior of all mankind. He is good news. His salvation is good news. And his teachings are good news. All of them. Not just the bits that the world agrees with. Yes, The teachings of compassion and love and gentleness and kindness, they are good news. But also Jesus' teaching on marriage. Jesus' teaching on gender and sexuality. Jesus' teaching on not giving in to every desire that we might have to live self-controlled lives. All of that is good news. Let us not ever be ashamed of Jesus. 
that does not ever apologize for what he teaches. Let us not ever wish that parts of the Bible weren't there. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I'm sure many will continue to rage against Christianity and against our Savior. But as we speak the good news and live the good life, as as we show people a better way, then some will be drawn in. Let me read this quote and then we'll, we'll draw things to a close. A Christian writer in, in Australia actually called Steve McAlpin, he puts it like this. When we proclaim the gospel message and practice the gospel ethic and refugees from the culture wars and the secular age realize that the way we deal with sin or the way we practice forgiveness or look after the single mother is completely different to the city that they have known all their lives are much more likely to lead to flourishing than anything from that city, they will clamor to escape and become citizens of the new city. May we be that alternative community, those who rejoice in the salvation that we have, those who strive with all of Christ's power at work in us to grow in love and compassion and obedience, who rejoice in Jesus' teachings and his gospel. But of course, here's the thing. We can't do that if we are stuck in that rut of grumbling and self-pity. And so, brothers and sisters, let us wake up and believe. Let us wake up and see all that the Lord has done for us and will do for us who we are now in Christ, that we might rejoice in him, that we might wake up and tell the world of this beautiful news that Jesus is both our Lord and our Savior. Let's wake up. Moment of quiet and I'm going to pray. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim good tidings and peace, and that our Lord is King. Heavenly Father, we, many of us this morning, have heard that news and we have rejoiced in it. We have known the salvation that is ours because of Christ. And we pray, Heavenly Father, in the ups and downs of life, that we will never forget that it is good news that we have believed in. Even in the pain, even in the hardship, even when our bodies are are breaking and our minds are failing, may we not give in to that temptation to grumble and moan. May we remember that we have believed in good news. Our future is glorious. Our present is never alone. Help us to wake up and believe. And as those who believe, may we then tell. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.